Um, you can put up that first image there, Joe. Uh, the last couple of years we've witnessed the, uh, the conjoined twins from uh, Bhutan. Uh, these two girls, uh, probably when they were back in this third world country, were locked into a life of despair and challenge. In a third world country like that, the future would have been very, very hard for them and very, very difficult. In many ways, that there would have been very little hope for them in the present circumstances as they were in that situation uh, in that way. But thanks to God, you can put the next one on Joe. Thanks be to God, through His grace, through doctors and uh, nurses and hospitals, life will be very, very different for those two little girls now. Uh, they're now separated and living a normal life as best they possibly can as we know it. Uh, their future now would be one that is filled with hope and promise. At some point, yes, much despair within the family, but now they have a future that has hope and that has promise. Well, this is where Jeremiah wants to take us today as we think about the future, as we think about our outward circumstances could be unravelling and could be very, very challenging. Uh, God wants to assure us through Jeremiah that he has a future for us that is filled with hope and filled with promise. A life restored. So if you've got your Bibles, um, let's go to Jeremiah 29. And we'll just read uh, from verses 10 to 14. Some of these will be very, very familiar to you guys as we read them. Starting at verse 10. Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you declares the Lord, I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Uh, Lord, thank you today that we can come and gather around your word. I thank you again, uh, Lord, for the truth that is in your word. And I pray today as we look at Jeremiah and look at these next um, five or six chapters here, and we see this beautiful section of hope and restoration uh, for a nation that did not deserve it, for a nation that all they did was stir up your anger because of their willful rebellion and disobedience. But God, you declare yourself and you show yourself a forgiving God and a grace-filled God as you, Lord, now speak of the promise of hope and restoration and a future for Israel. So Lord, we pray now, please, let our hearts see this. And Lord, also let us see this in a way how it works in our life today as well. Lord, looking at this with a, with a big picture perspective. Father, we ask that now and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we cover these next six chapters or so here in uh, Jeremiah, there's a strong sense of God communicating to Judah restoration and hope. Restoration and hope. This is the midsection of the book we've been looking through over the last couple of months where Judah has finally fallen to Babylon. Up to this point, there's been large sections of God addressing Judah with deserved judgment because of all their willful rebelliousness before God. Despite him sending prophets and people over many, many years, they still continue to go down their own selfish path. Uh, In that, though, there's been large reminders also of God's grace towards Judah. But now we have this section here which really speaks about a future of hope and restoration over these next sort of five or six chapters here in uh, Jeremiah. 
Now, I think this is critically important for humanity to have a future, isn't it? I think it's really important that we actually can picture a future going forward. Uh, When we don't have a future to look forward to, we lose hope. And we very often lose the will to live in some cases as well. You see, hope carries us into the future. Hope gives us the strength to carry on. Hope gives us the ability to get out of bed another day and face whatever we need to face. If we didn't have that hope, we probably wouldn't want to get out of bed. Hope is really, really important. And this is precisely where... And what, Sorry, what's important about this hope is this. Is this hope that I have real hope or false hope? Is it real hope, one that will sustain me and deliver on its promises? Or is it a false hope that will fail me when I need it most. And this is precisely where Judah is at this particular point in time. Up to this point, they've been listening to a lot of false prophets and false teachers giving them a false hope. But here is now a true hope that God's about to give them. This hope's really important. What hope are we going to bank ourselves on? Judah, for all intents and purposes, are in captivity. All of their outward appearances... There's nothing to be hopeful about for them in the future, right where they are at this particular time. They're in enemy territory and they're stripped of all their privileges, empty of any reputation or titles out of whatever they may have had back when they were in the land of um, Judah. The only title they now have, where they presently are at, is no hope. No hope in their present circumstances. But this is where we see God that has never left his people and never will leave his people begin to step in. Yes, they have been rebellious, they have been disobedient, but God hasn't forsaken them and will not forsake them. God now speaks hope and restoration to Judah and also us today as we think about this passage here in Jeremiah. First thing we want to see here is God's promises. God's promises. God says a number of times over these chapters, if you read these five or six chapters where Sammy did that one before, there's lots of great stuff there that God is promising the people of Judah. In our our reading today from 10 to 14, we see their plans for a future and a hope. These are promises that God has. In uh, Jeremiah 32, 42, he says this, For thus says the Lord, just as I've brought all this great disaster upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I promised them. God's promising good here to these people. And again, in a longer section, in chapter 33, he says this, Behold, I will bring to it health and healing. He's talking about the land of Judah. And I will heal them and reveal to them an abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all their guilt of sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say... It is a waste without man or beast. And that's how it was at that particular time. In this place where you think it's a waste without man or beast. In the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast. There shall be heard again the voice of mirth or laughter and the voice of gladness. The voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. The voice of those who sing 
And as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord, give thanks to the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. They are glorious promises. They are truly wonderful promises. A beautiful God who is filled with uh, restoration and grace. He's saying that I'll cleanse all of your guilt and I'll cleanse all of your sin that you've committed against me. I'll make this city of Jerusalem a city of joy again. They'll be singing and they'll be dancing in the streets. It will come again. This is a God who's loving us, not leaving us as orphans with nowhere to call home. This is the God who promises a future and a hope for us. And it's incredibly important for us to see this. Because sometimes in life, and life's really difficult and hard, in the middle of our brokenness and our disruption, sometimes we think God isn't caring for me. God isn't concerned about my future. He's not providing for me. But as we see here in God's word, he sure is. I'm quite sure some in Judah at that time were probably thinking like that. I don't think God cares about us. He's just left us out here, um, exiled in Babylon. The end game for God is to build his people up in peace and joy. This is what he promises us. That's his word. There is promises, but God does something really significant here as well in this. And he doesn't always do this in his spoken promises. But in a sense, he God upholds his promise and gives it to us like an assurance. Think about this, he's saying, when you think about my promises. He says this in Jeremiah 31, 35 to 37 as part of the promises here. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, just think how huge that is, you can't measure that, can be explored, then I will cast off the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. He says it again in chapter 33. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David my servant may be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. What's God saying when he says that? What's he doing there? The sovereign creator God who spoke the universe into existence is saying, can you, us, can we, can we change the order of the sun, the moon and the stars? Can we do that? Can you make the sun not come up tomorrow? Can you make the moon stay hidden away so that it never shines in the night sky? Is that possible? Can you alter the course of the planets in this universe as they travel through and follow their orbits? Have you the strength and the power to change what God has put into place, God says? What's the obvious answer? No. No, you and I cannot tell the sun not to rise tomorrow. Of course we can't change those things. We are finite beings with weak, limited powers. So if those things can't be changed, God is saying, 
because we can't, then neither will my word be changed. Neither will my promises be changed because if that could ever possibly be changed, then something would be able to overpower me as in God. My word holds still. My word will come to pass. You cannot change the fixed draw of things and just as the same way you cannot change what I say. Again, in Jeremiah 32, we see it as well. Jeremiah is told by God to buy a farm from his uncle. It might seem a strange thing here at this particular point. Um, But it's during this time when they're being overrun by Babylon. He's telling Jeremiah, go buy this farm. You're thinking, well, who would buy a farm when a country's being overrun by an enemy? You wouldn't be thinking about doing any of those sorts of things. But Jeremiah's uncle does come to him and says, I want you to buy this farm off me. Just as God said what happened. What's happening here? God is saying this all signifies that God will restore this land back to peace and order. People actually will buy and sell properties again. This is what will happen. It's a land that will undergo restoration. Life will return somewhat back to normality. And then Jeremiah responds here in verse 17 and 32 and says this, as he actually sees this plan of God unfolding. Ah, Lord God. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. God, nothing is too difficult for you. If you say these promises, they will come to pass because you are unstoppable. You can do all things because you are all powerful. God, your word will stand. There is none who can hold back your word. There is none who can hold back your power. If you say this is going to take place, it will take place. One other thing I want us to see here is we think about these promises. And it's just a tiny, tiny little verse here. But as I read this a number of times, it just spoke volumes to me in thinking about these promises that God makes towards us. Look at what God says here in verse 41 of this chapter in this context. It says this, I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul, says God. Wouldn't you love to camp on that verse for a while? Just think about what's happening in that verse. Think about what God's communicated to us when he says that. If you think about that verse, it's filled with love, it's filled with warmth, and it's filled with hope. God doesn't begrudgingly do good for us or promise good for us. God isn't saying through gritted teeth, I'll do what I have to do. He's not saying that. God isn't like some stingy, miserly person who has to make good on his part of a deal he never really wanted to be into. Is he? What does he say then? I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. To do good for us, To carry out his word of peace and wholeness towards us is something that brings God delight. He delights in it. He rejoices in it. He rejoices in doing good to us. He's like a generous father who goes out to buy gifts for his children, perhaps on their birthdays, 
There's no begrudgingness about that. You actually delight to go out and do that. He delights to do good to us. It's not a chore to him to do this. God, with all of his heart and with all of his soul, we are told, with his whole being, delights, takes joy, and with gladness, generously does good for us. This fills God with happiness. Not that he's deficient in happiness, but he's filled with happiness as he does good to us. He delights in it. As you think about that, surely that must stir our heart with love and devotion towards such a stunning God. Such a generous God. It must fill our hearts with joy and hope in an overflowing, joyful creator who generously and delightfully does good in our lives. God stands by his promises with unlimited, unstoppable power and God stands by his promises with generous joy to fulfil them. God has got a promise and he delights in that promise. If we are anything known like the people of Judah, at this particular time, hope would seem far off, wouldn't it? Where's this hope going to come from? Jeremiah, you're talking about this hope. Where we currently are, I can't really see this hope. So where do I go looking for this hope? Perhaps in today's context, we might look at it this way. Some people think, actually, I think I just need to go on a holiday and I'll find some hope in a holiday. Nothing wrong with a holiday. You can have a good, peaceful, relaxing time. But sometimes people make that, that's the only way I'm going to find hope. If I can just get away for a while, that'll give me something else to focus on and that'll somewhat fill me with hope. Then perhaps all my problems will go away and I won't have to deal with them. Somehow I'll just return back from holidays and they'll just magically disappear. All my problems are gone. Or others may think this about where do I find hope. Some might think if I can just have a new boyfriend, if I can just have a new girlfriend, if I could just find that right relationship somewhere, that will bring hope into my life. And that will actually somehow make all my problems disappear. That will fix me up. That will give me a fresh injection of hope in my life. We can look for hope there. And you know what? Sometimes that sort of thing will sustain us for a while. A holiday can spark us up and it can actually carry us for a while. A new man or a new woman in our life can put a bit of a spring in our step temporarily. I won't deny that's the case. You will get something out of that. But you need to ask yourself, is it a long-term life-sustaining hope? Is it a hope that will truly stand the test of time? Is it a hope that can save me in the end, if I'm looking for these, like, call them band-aid hopes? I believe the answer is no. Those things can't sustain me for eternity. They can't carry me the distance of time. Let me tell you the hope here that is in this passage that will never let us down that Jeremiah is pointing to. Here it is in Jeremiah 33. Behold... The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfil the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So there's a day coming and he's going to fulfil. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. This is that hope. The Lord is our righteousness. 
Here is the hope that we need that will satisfy us for eternity. Here is the hope that we need when every other hope fails or runs out in the world where we live. This hope is the Lord our righteousness and that Lord our righteousness is Jesus Christ. He is the one who makes us right with God. He is the one who's gone to the cross to pay the price of our sin to give us this hope. He is the one who brings the hope, the hope that we all absolutely need. This is the hope that will not let us down. How does this hope work, though, then, even as we think about um, Judah back then and us today? In the sense of how it works today in us, in the point of conversion, the point of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, God, in his amazing grace, sends his spirit to us to reveal to us who Jesus is. The spirit, as it were, opens up our eyes so that we can believe in Jesus. And when he does this, he gives us a new heart, a heart now that is turned and inclined towards putting our hope and our trust in God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in conversion when we become followers of Jesus. But it's not a once-off work. It's not a once-off work. There is a one-time conversion that we go through, but there's also a continuing and sustaining work that the Holy Spirit does with us and carries on with us as well. Because in thinking about this sustaining work and thinking about how this hope looks, even if you are a Christian today, maybe you're looking at this hope and you're finding it burning very dimly in your life. It's there, but it's like a flickering candle, this hope. It's not really strong, maybe. Well, this is where the continuing and sustaining work of the Holy Spirit kicks in with hope. Come with me to see this hope as we see it unpacked in, uh, uh, in our lives. In thinking about this, this hope, I think there's one point that really challenges us here in, in Jeremiah 29 about this hope. I think we ask ourselves, as we look at this passage here, when is this hope realised? Well, when do I receive this hope? I know a lot of people who love and quote this particular passage. I mean, there's lots of people who love to go to Jeremiah 29, 11, and they want to say this, For I know the plans I have you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. And I think sometimes when people quote that, they have this understanding about that particular verse. That somehow God will give me a life here and now that is free of all trials and free of all troubles. And somehow God will just um, mysteriously pick me up out of this situation and drop me in the land of heaven sort of thing. And I'll just never have another trial in my life. That this is where I'm going to end up. This is where I'm going to be. That yes, I'm experiencing trials right now. But God's future plans for me are that he'll remove these present trials from me and that my hope-filled life that I'm looking for will actually come from a trial or trouble-free life. Then I'll have this hope and this prosperity, this peace that God's promising. I think that's how people see that verse sometimes when they read that and think about that as a believer or follower in Christ. That's not necessarily the case. In fact, I don't think it is the case here for the people in Judah at this particular time. Think about where they are when they heard this word from Jeremiah. Think about the context they are in. They're in exile. They're captive in a foreign country. And as best we can tell, 
according to what Jeremiah said here in these verses, they've got 70 years of this exile ahead of them, right where they are, as captives. Some of them will die in this captivity. Most certainly some would have died. Many would have died in that captivity. Many will spend most of their lifetime exiled in Babylon, away from their homes and away from their homeland. For many of these people in Judah at that particular time, they'll never experience this hope and this prosperity back in Jerusalem again. They won't. Some of them could have been in their 60s, 70s when they've gone into captivity, but they've heard Jeremiah's promise of hope. But you're going to be here 70 years. I'm going to die in Babylon. I'm I'm never going to experience that promise. They'll see their days out in Babylon, and that's where they'll be. Challenging. But some people would have realised that promise. Some could have gone there as a teenager, and seven years later, yep, they were part of the exiles who were going back to to Judah again. And seven years later, some started to do that. And they would have seen hope, but it would have been an unlimited form of that hope. So we have to ask ourselves, so what does this mean? Is God's promise not true then? Because he's said that, that you'll experience hope, prosperity, future, peace, all these things. Is it not true? What we've got to see is the ultimate fulfilment of this promise in its fullest extent will be eternity with Christ. That is where we will know that promise to its fullest absolutely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In the present time, these promises will be known to us in an incomplete form. In an incomplete form. There will be times where we go through life and experience its victory and overcoming and we are just cruising along in life and we'll have great experience of that from time to time and hope and peace will be really easy then when life's like that. But then there'll be other times when life is just downright hard. Life will be just very challenging. And then hope and peace will seem distant, elusive, hard to capture, hard to get hold of, hard to experience in my life. That's how it will be in this world where we live. In Christ, though, we have to know there's a time coming that we will know and experience perfect hope, perfect peace and perfect prosperity with him with no limits. God's promises will be totally fulfilled when we are perfectly united to him in eternity. So what does that mean in the meantime then that we're living with this promise that he's given to us? God hasn't deserted us. He hasn't deserted us. As we go through the ups and downs of hope and peace, as we fluctuate through this world, through the various circumstances we go through, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit is there with us, working into us supernatural hope and peace Right here, right now. This is what the gospel does for us. It gives us a new way of looking at life with a new heart that God's given to us. When I'm weak, the Spirit strengthens me. Have a look at this passage with me in Romans where Paul really opens this up for us to show us this supernatural hope and peace that God gives. Romans chapter 5 says this. Verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the gospel. There's the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been made right because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We've been saved by him at the cross. Verse 2. Through him 
We've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. There's more gospel for us there. There's more good news for us there. We continue to receive more grace or strength to stand in this salvation. There's an unlimited supply of God's grace or strength to keep us standing in the face of the challenges we face in this world. Let's go on. It says there, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Look at what this hope does here that the gospel brings in our lives. We are able to rejoice in the glory of God revealed in our lives. This is what the gospel does. It reveals the glory of who he is and what he's done for us. And we rejoice in that glory. We rejoice in that knowledge of who God is. We rejoice in his love. But let's go on. Not only that, Paul says in verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our challenges. We rejoice in our hard times. This hope causes rejoicing, but where is it causing it? In our sufferings, in the middle of our trials, in the middle of our troubles, no matter what size they are. Rejoicing during our hopeless situations. This is the hope that the gospel gives. And when you read that verse there, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, you think about that and you say, that's insane. Who rejoices in their sufferings? We're not rejoicing because of our sufferings. We're rejoicing in the hope that one day we'll be relieved from these sufferings and we know there's a greater good being uh, affected in our lives through these sufferings. This is the hope that God gives. This is the promise of the future. We can rejoice in our sufferings. Let's follow that on though. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. This is the gospel hope that the Holy Spirit of God gives to us. The Spirit is working in our life, including all of our sufferings, trials, challenges, whatever you want to put in there, so that we will learn to endure, so that we will learn to hang on. And this hanging on then produces character. This character is like an attitude of resolve within me that God builds within me. And then this character rolls on to build hope within me. And get that next bit here that he says in the, at the end of verse, um, at the start of verse 5. This hope doesn't put us to shame. What does Paul mean here when he talks about that hope not putting us to shame? In other words, Paul is saying this. This isn't a false hope that will leave us looking embarrassed and ashamed when it's failed us. Because it won't fail us. This hope will not put us to shame. This hope is strong hope. It's true hope. It won't fail. No, 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 will it fail? It can't. God's already told us about his promises. Unless you can change the fixed order of the sun, the moon, the stars, my word will not come true. You can't change that, so you can't change my word. God gives us this assurance of hope in the present, in the middle of trials, in the middle of difficulties, by continually pouring his love into our hearts by his spirit, reassuring us of the hope and the future that is ahead of us. That's glorious to me. 
That really is. It, it, it fixes my mind and keeps me anchored to the ground. So when the winds of travail come or the winds of challenge come, I don't get blown over. Sure, I might waver a bit, as we all do in storms, but God keeps me upright. So how do the people of Judah enter into this back then? How do they know this hope? How do we know this hope today? It's actually the same for them as it is for us. And it's in verses 1 and 2 there of uh, Romans 5. It says this. It's this word called faith. Faith. Simply, God calls us to believe who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do. God says, believe. Believe what I say. Anchor your life upon what I've uh, said about my future for your lives. Believe in me. So when the next anxious time comes around, or the next round of bad news comes, or the next setback comes in life, like, here I go again. This is my 23rd job application I'm filling out. I'm filling out another form to try and get a job. And then my anxiety's starting to rise because I'm thinking, how am I going to find the money to pay the school's fees for the kids this week? I haven't got a job yet, and all this begins to ramp up in their mind. Here's what we do. We hope in God. We trust in Him. We believe His Word. And what does His Word tell me? His Word tells me, My God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. I don't need to fret. I don't need to panic. I don't need to have an emotional meltdown. I don't need to lose it altogether. I don't need to run away. Because everything within me sometimes, when we face life's troubles and trials, we just want to run away from them. I don't need to do that. God is there with this eternal hope he's placed in my heart. There's a future. There's a promise. I need to trust in God and be obedient to his ways. And trust that he will look after everything else in the meantime. I can't see all the minor details how it's going to work out, but God has that all in hand. Because ultimately my faith is in God and not my present outcome, if you understand what I'm saying by that. Sometimes that might be worked out if I'm um, really unwell, really sick. And some people, they put all their expectation into the outcome that God's going to heal me from this disease completely. And then that's what my faith is in. It's in the outcome. It's not necessarily in God and what he might be doing through that sickness or that illness or whether it's a trial or a challenge in my life, whether it's going through financial pressure or relationship problems. We get our faith fixed in the... We expect this outcome to happen in this situation. God calls us to put our faith in him and he will work out the outcome, what is best for our lives, which may not necessarily 